Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. If you're new with us, man, we've been studying our way through this amazing book, uh, the book of Romans. Many would say the book of Romans is the most prolific book in the entire Bible. And most would say not only is the book of Romans the most impactful, the most prolific book in the entire Bible, they would say that Romans chapter 8 is the, most, is the pinnacle of the entire book of Romans. And we're, we're slowly working our way through verse by verse uh, through this amazing book, the book of Romans. And we currently land in Romans chapter 8. And today we're going to be studying Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. So if you have your phones, mobile devices, want to pull it up or have your Bibles, want to turn there. I invite you to do so, uh, Romans 8, 28. Uh, we're going to read it out loud together. So if you would, uh, would you join me standing to your feet in honor of God's word? And whenever we get to the red letter words, I want to invite you to read that out loud, uh, really loud, really proud, the red letter words. Here we go. And we know that in, in all things, God works for the of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the amazing promises in your word. We're thankful today, God, that you're working all things together for good, for those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose to make us more and more like Jesus. And so, God, we just we just ask over these next few moments that you would unfold your word to us. That would bring understanding to our minds, but God, more importantly, revelation to our heart. That you might draw us closer to you, that we might become more like you and reflect you better uh, to this world around us. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five, then you can have a seat. Give someone a high five and have a seat. In all things, God is working, and, and good is working, because God is always working, good is always working in your circumstances and in your situations. But the challenge, one of the most prolific, one of the most quoted verses in the book of Romans probably is Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. But what about the hard times? What about the difficult situations? What about the hard seasons? What about when things happen that don't make sense? What, what about whenever there is very little good, if any, to find. Uh, Brad Hambrick the director of counseling practice in South Carolina, and, and he wrote an article about the difficulty of believing Romans chapter 8, verse 28, in the midst of suffering. And he uses this, this story, and he's, this, it's a real story, a real person, a real testimony, but he's changed the name of the individual to Natasha just to protect her, her identity. And, and he says not only is this Natasha's story, but many others like Natasha. And so I want to, this is a little bit graphic and maybe uh, just a little uncomfortable, so fair warning. Uh, we have a great kids' ministry happening across the quad. If you're like, I don't want my kids. Anyway, here we go. Uh, here's Natasha's story. And I quote, Natasha and her husband longed for a child and finally uh, conceived five years into trying. They learned that their child was a girl and decided to name her after Natasha's mother who died when Natasha was an infant. 
Throughout the pregnancy, they, they read books about what to expect, and they prepared this, this nursery. It was the dream nursery, complete with the initials on, on large letters, decorative letters hanging above the bed. Everything was set, but their daughter was stillborn, suffocated by the umbilical cord, and the only visual memory they have of their daughter is her blue still body and a sense of overwhelming guilt that somehow they have failed her in her time of need. Not knowing how to deal with the pain, their marriage deteriorates. The questions are upsetting and the volatility tears them apart. Natasha's husband begins to have an affair at work. He finds life and escape in conversation with his coworker and convinces himself that he is really in love with this other woman. When Natasha finds some questionable emails, he lashes out at her and he blames her and leaves her promptly, files for a divorce. Within a year, he is remarried and has a child a little girl. Natasha's dream life is now being lived out by another woman. Because she's not really a fighter, she loses big in the divorce settlement and has to get a second job as a waitress to make ends meet. She's driving home late one night from her job and she falls asleep at the wheel and has a wreck. Not only is her car totaled, something that she can't afford, but she also crusts two vertebrae in her lower back. This requires surgery, more money that she doesn't have to fuse the vertebrae together. The rest of her life, she'll experience limited mobility, chronic pain, and is labeled disabled. People try to comfort her with verses like Romans 8, 28. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And she gives mental and theological assent to that verse, but yet it, somehow it doesn't change her feelings that maybe somehow she feels abandoned by God, rejected or cursed by God. But even more bearable, Unbearable than that is Romans 8, 28, where her friends would quote her, all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who have been called according to his purpose. While she can, you know, try to wrap her mind around that, she just realizes that her friends are trying to comfort her, but they just don't understand. Sometimes she just really gets angry. What possible good? What silver lining? How is any of this working together for my good? End of quote. Have you ever dealt with someone in that kind of situation? Have you ever gone through something like that in your own life, yourself? I feel like one of my jobs is to, to help us to kind of confront some of these challenging realities when it comes to passages like this in Romans 8.28. So I want to talk to you about Romans 8.28, but also give a few myths that Christians believe about suffering if we pulled up Romans 8, 28, uh, 8, sorry, Romans 8, 18 through 27, we've been studying this over the, the past few weeks. And if we were to, to read this for the sake of time, I'm not going to, but here's an overview. Paul's been talking to us about suffering. Paul's been talking to us about glory. He talks to us about how all creation is suffering. That, that creation is, is impacted by the effects of sin. But not only is creation impacted by the effects of sin, we are. And so creation's groaning and suffering. We are groaning and suffering. But also, in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit's interceding for us with groans. And so, like, we're suffering, creation's suffering, the Spirit's groaning on our behalf. And then at the heels of that, Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So I want to give us uh, four myths about suffering that, that many people believe, Christians Included. Then we're going to look at four ways that Paul give us, gives us hope in the midst of, of suffering. But first myth, myth number one, we believe, many believe, if we live well, we can avoid suffering. 
If we live well, we can avoid suffering, or at least we suppose we can suppress suffering. We can minimize suffering. But Paul assumes in this passage that suffering is a part of the believer's life. Look at it in, in Romans 8, 18. It says our, our present suffering, present suffering. It goes on to say in verse 20 that creation was subject to frustration. Like another translation says futility. Like creation, God created it with this great purpose, this great design. But when sin entered the picture, now, now, now creation itself is frustrated. So you have earthquakes, you have tsunamis, you have, have mosquitoes, you have, you have the Las Vegas Raiders. Like it's just broken. <laughs> A broken, broken world that we live in. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Uh, not only that, verse 21 is, is creation one day will be liberated from its bondage and decay, but currently it's in bondage. Currently it's in this state of decay, this, this downward spiral. We ourselves groan inwardly, verse 23. Uh, my uncle, uh, my, he's a great uncle, uh, great uncle Ken and my aunt Reen, they would always go traveling with my other aunt and uncle, the four of them, and they would go see different things, but my uncle Ken would usually drive, and he would say, I know when everyone's out of the vehicle when I hear the fourth groan. Ah, like get, we groan, like our bodies groan. The older we get, the more we groan because we have more to groan about. But, uh, but we ourselves, verse 26, uh, or verse 23, we groan inwardly. So creation's groaning, we're groaning. Uh, verse 26, the spirit helps us in our, in our weakness. And, and so we, we have this, this reality of weakness. And here's what Paul's been talking about. We're suffering, creation's frustrated, it's in bondage decay, creation's groaning, we're groaning, and the Spirit's praying for us in the midst of our weakness. And as followers of Jesus, we could argue that, that believers will face more suffering than non-believers. And here's why. Uh, one, we live in these bodies that have been broken by sin, so things happen. Uh, but we live in this world that's, that's broken by sin, and so we, we experience natural disasters along with everyone else. But as a follower of Jesus, you just need to know you have a very real enemy. And his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Versus people that, that aren't trying to follow God, aren't trying to please God, well, they're not on the radar as much. And so you, as a follower of Jesus, you're going to be more susceptible to troubles, more susceptible to, to suffering. And being godly or living rightly will not allow you to avoid that. Think of it this way, just logically. If we were to tease that out, if living a godly life would result in not suffering, then what about Jesus? He lived a perfect life and yet suffered more than any of us. So the first myth is that if we live well, we can avoid suffering, which Paul points to that's just not, not the case. Second myth is that my pain doesn't matter because comparatively it's not that bad. Uh, my pain, a lot of times we think this, my pain is not that bad because someone else is suffering more than me. So comparatively it's not that bad. The idea that Natasha, she would, in the midst of her suffering, if she were to say, well, at least I'm not a quadriplegic. I mean, at least I'm not held captive by terrorists, as if somehow that's supposed to make her feel better. But the reality is that she's experienced some real suffering, some real, real heartache. I had a friend tell me one time, he said, Tim, suffering is not a competitive sport. Just because someone else got hit by a truck doesn't mean that the setback from the knee surgery is any less painful. Just because someone else has terminal cancer doesn't mean that the lies that your spouse told you hurt any less. We're not competing with Auschwitz for God's compassion. Your pain is real, your disappointment is real, the confusion is real, and it's okay to acknowledge that. It's not a competitive sport. Uh, third, suffering always points 
to some sin that we need to confess. I think this is a myth, that, that, that suffering always points to some area of sin in an individual's life, that, um, that, that there's something wrong, there's something misplaced, so this is God's way of getting us to, to turn to him. Now let me be very clear, sometimes that is true. Affliction is one of God's choice tools to wake us up. That's just the reality. The psalmist said this, Psalms 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Like I was going my own direction, but then like, gosh, that didn't feel good. Then I turned to you, and now, okay, I know what I've been, I've been missing. God does use hard things to draw us back to himself. That Jonah was in the belly of a whale to get his attention, and sometimes God puts us flat on our back just to get us to look in the right direction again. But that's not always the case. Paul seems to indicate in Romans 8 that suffering is not in response to something that they've done wrong. They're just suffering. Creation itself didn't do anything wrong. It's just subject to frustration because of the reality of sin in a contaminated world. God very much wants us to be aware of sin. And, and suffering because of sin, I think, I think he's just going to let you know super quick like, if, you, if you're suffering because of sin and situation in your life, I think, I think you're going to be aware of it. I think it's going to be super clear in his word. I think the Holy Spirit's going to just let you know about that. Uh, I mean, as a dad, I mean, my, my son's in here. He can attest to this. Uh, whenever my kids are in trouble and I discipline them, they know what they're in trouble for. That here's what you did and here's the consequence. And God is a much better father than I could ever dream of. And so if he's trying to get your attention in an area of your life, I think he's going to make it super clear. And so if you don't know, like, why am I suffering? This just doesn't make sense. Maybe it's like Job, who was the most righteous man alive, but yet suffered tremendous heartache. Fourth myth, that we'll always be able to find the silver lining behind every dark cloud. We'll always be able to find silver lining behind every dark cloud. And I'm not sure that's always the case. I think this is one of the areas where Romans 8.28 is so often misquoted, they'll say, well, all things work together for the good, so like, where's the good in the midst of the situation? And certainly we see that, right? I mean, we see it, it sometimes it's super evident, like the, the alcoholic gets into an accident and it wakes him up to the, the depths of his addiction. Uh, sometimes there's a painful breakup, but it leads to like this better relationship that God had for you anyway, and that's a beautiful thing. But what about when you can't see the silver lining? But what about when you can't see how everything is going to work out together for the good? Well, in this chapter, Romans 8, Paul indicates that much of the good that God's going to bring out of your suffering will only be manifested or visible in eternity. Romans 8.18 says this, I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be. It's not yet, but it will be revealed in us. So we, we wait. Romans 8, 24 through 25. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait. We wait for it patiently. I mean, oftentimes we say, man, I want to live by faith, right? God, help me to walk by faith. And then he does things that don't make sense. And we're like, God, show me what you're doing. And that's not walking by faith, right? That's walking by, by what we can see. But faith means trusting God even when we can't see him. Faith means, as Paul says, waiting patiently until the end to experience resolution. It means not declaring a verdict over your life until you experience the glory of eternity that we are currently waiting patiently for. 
There's a lady named Corey Timboon, and she was very familiar with suffering. Uh, Corey Timboon lived through uh, Nazi Germany. Her family was, was lived as they worked as clockmakers, actually. Uh, but Corey Timboon and her her family, her dad, uh, were using their house and their business to help Jewish uh, individuals escape from the Nazis in the midst of, of what would become World War II. Well, the Nazis found out about Cor- what Corey Timboon's dad was doing, and they executed Corey Timboon's father right in front of her and her sister. They took Corey Timboon and her sister to a concentration camp where they were brutalized. So much so that Corey Timboon's sister died in that concentration camp. And miraculously, after experiencing ghastly things, uh, Corey Timboon escaped uh, the, the concentration camp and would live to tell about it. And she would go around telling her story, and she would always begin telling her story and talking about suffering by using a tapestry. And she would, she would pull up the back of this, this tapestry. This is, we got a picture here. I want to show you the back of this tapestry. And she would, she would use this. She would take this out on her, her talks and she would say, hey, you see this? It looks like just a ball of yarn, right? There's all these threads. And, and oftentimes in my life, I wish there weren't dark threads. I wish it was all bright. I wish it was all happy, clappy. Like I wish, I wish it was just this beautiful picture. But oftentimes when I look at my life, especially in the midst of suffering, it just feels like a mess. I feel like that's my life, one weird thread after another. But whenever you flip it around to the other side, you see this beautiful crown. And Corey Timboon wrote a poem, and she said this, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors, he weaveth steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow, and I in selfish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. And so we got this side by side, check this out. This is what we see right here, right now. But we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. In the midst of the ambiguity, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, we trust that God is working all things together for good. Although we might not be able to see it on this side of eternity, we know that for all of eternity, he's weaving a crown and every thread is important. Every hurt, he'll redeem. Every chapter that doesn't make sense will one day become clear. So on one hand, we will always be able to find the silver lining behind the dark clouds, but we might not see the silver lining on this side of eternity. So four myths that now I want to just turn around and just ask the question, what hope does God give us in the midst of suffering? So there's four realities, four myths about suffering, but what hope do we have in the midst of suffering? Paul gives us four reasons to hang on to hope in the midst of suffering. The first one is this, that God is using all things to make us more like Jesus. God is using all things to make us more like Jesus. Uh, People often overlook the last part of Romans 8.28, which I think perhaps is the most important part. Here's what it says. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his, his purpose. They're, they're, they're called. You say, well, wait a minute. How do I know if I'm, if I'm called? Well, I think if you have the desire to live according to God's purpose, then, then you're called. You're, 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 you're part of that group that Paul is, is talking about. But what's the purpose for my life? That's a good question for you to wrestle with. What is the purpose for your life? God created you on purpose. And every single one of you, you have a unique expression of God's purpose for your life. And it's unique to you. 
but also we share this across the board purpose. And the purpose that we all share is found here in Romans 8. And it says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, this is their purpose, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. God's working all things together for good to make you more like Jesus. Uh, Romans 8 talks about, not so much about giving you better circumstances, but making you better. Making you into the person that he created you to be. Making you more like Jesus. Invariably, at every moment, God is working towards that. In the painful chapters in your marriage, in the setbacks at work, in the chronic illness. All of it to that end. And there will come a time, if you submit to God in faith, when you see the painful chapters, the heartaches, the tears, the disabilities, the disadvantage, the disappointments, even the seasons of boredom and loneliness were used by God for one purpose, to mold you into the image of Jesus. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes we don't. But you realize at every moment, God is weaving your story together. And his purpose is to make you more and more like Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. If this pillow, we say, man, this is our life, right? And it's, it's this beautiful canvas. And man, it's nice and black and shiny. So nice. But then you get the bad news about a work situation. Then your kids have a setback. Then maybe you get laid off. Then your marriage didn't go as you thought. And then something happens in your finances and retirement becomes out of the picture. And, and another thing happens and another thing happens and another thing happens and another thing happens. And now this once black canvas that was all pretty neat and clean feels like this just random things have been happening to it. And you're like, God, where are you? But it's important for us to know in the midst of suffering, God is using it to reveal something inside of us, to make us into the image of his, his son. And we realize one day that, that that's what we'll, we'll be, that we'll be made into the image, into the likeness of not Mike from the office, but the image of Jesus. And so this is prison Mike, and so this is where the illustration breaks down. Uh, but if it was a picture of Jesus under here, that's what the image is. And so he's using that, the hard times, the pleasant times, the good things, and it's revealing something in us, and ultimately it won't be revealed until we get to heaven with God for eternity. Shout out to the office. <laughs> so rather than asking God to help you out of the trouble, maybe we should ask him what we should be getting out of the trouble. God has promised to use all things, all things, to make you more like Jesus. The painful things, the easy things, the really hard things, conforming to the image of his son. And therefore, he's using all things together for your good. Second thing, second reason we have hope is that my story ends with redemption of my body. My story ends with the redemption of my body. We talked earlier about how, how the creation's groaning, we ourselves groan, that our, our, once you're over the age of, of 40, like you just begin to groan a little bit, little bit more. If you're still in your 20s or younger, like you don't know anything about this yet, uh, but it's coming, like, like we groan. And, and, and the good news is that it's temporary. Like, like here's the reality, the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus today, this life is as bad as it gets. It only gets better. The super sad challenge, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this life is as good as it gets. 
It only gets worse. But the good news, if you are a follower of Jesus, there's in your future the redemption of your bodies. We talked about this at length a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with it. But, but check this out. Romans 8.22 says this. That we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are going to be redeemed. You're going to get a brand new, a brand new you, a brand new body. And age is a funny thing, right? It just does weird stuff to us. I mean, you hit the age of 30 and like you start getting hair growing out of weird places that you didn't, hair shouldn't grow. You start turning 40, then gray hairs start coming in all over the place and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, There's an app a, a few years back. I don't know if you remember this face app. And uh, the face app, you could take a picture of yourself and it would advance what you're going to look like by 30, 40 years into the future. And uh, it's probably just a way for China to get all of our pictures served, uh, saved on a server somewhere. But it was successful because I used it. And, and here's what I looked like in, in the future uh, on the face app. There it is. I'm sorry, Tiffany, but this is what you get to look forward to. And uh, the beauty of this, the good in this, the silver lining here, is that our retirement plan is to dress up like Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus every year. And so if you want to you find us in about 25, 30 years, just look for us at Valley Fair Mall uh, Christmas time. We'll be there uh, taking pictures. But, but age is a funny thing. It's a funny thing. The, the good news is, though, regardless of your age, your body is going to be redeemed. You're, you're going to be made new. Your, your teeth will not always look like that. Like, like gray will, will eventually be restored. And that is a, a wonderful thing. Um, I'm excited for, for heaven. I just, my personal belief is that when you get to heaven, like broccoli and cauliflower make you fat, but nachos and pizza, they give you the six-pack you've always longed for. I'm just believing that heaven, heaven's going to be like that. You're going to get a new body. Not like a youthful body, but like a new body, a redeemed body. Johnny Erickson Tata, she was paralyzed at the age, uh, just a, a young, young girl. For 70 years, she's lived as a quadriplegic. Uh, she wrote this. She says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. Notice I'll be walking. I'm going to thank him for every character refining work that he did in me and through me because of this wheelchair. And then I'm going to ask Jesus to send this wheelchair straight to hell. Because it was only needed and relevant because of the wreckage of sin here in this life. And sometimes we groan inwardly, but God's using it to do a work in us. But in the midst of that work, we hold on to this hope that, 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 that one day, whatever your ailment is, for John Erickson Tata, she longs to walk. She'll be walking. Maybe you're, you long to not wear glasses. Your eyes will be restored. No more hearing aids, no more knee pains, no more back aches, no more arthritis, no more cancer, no more, no more illness, no more whatever. What did you just say? Groaning. groaning. No more groaning. There you go. There you go. All creation will be restored. You will be restored. I love the words of the old hymn. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, one glimpse at his dear face, all sorrow will erase. And I'll gladly run the race till I see him. So here's the assurance that we have. Not one second of your suffering is wasted. Not one thing happens in your life that the goodness of God will not transform into glory. Not one thing will be able to. Not one, one person will be able to look back over your life and say that was, that was needless pain. No, he's going to redeem it all. The third thing that we have to cling to hope is in the meantime, the Spirit perfectly intercedes for us. The Spirit perfectly intercedes for us. 
I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. Roger did a great job unpacking this last week, but here's what it says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in the midst of our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with his will. Two things I want to make note of here. Number one, this Holy Spirit intercedes for you with, with great passion, with like great fervency, with emotion. It's groaning on your behalf to the Father. Not only does it groan with emotion and passion, but it, it groans with wisdom. It prays for you in accordance with the will of God. According to the will of God, he prays the will of God perfectly over your life, that God's purpose would be accomplished to the letter. Friends, the assurance that he is praying for us, we can rest in that. Be encouraged in your moment of pain. When you can't find the words to express yourself, the Spirit is praying for you. Fourth and final, what God started, he's going to finish. Paul wants to to close with just some assurance that what God started in you, he's going to complete in you. Uh, Philippians, uh, I think it's, it's chapter 2, says that, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to the day of completion when Christ Jesus arrives. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, 29 through 30, that those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And Paul doesn't just bring this up to give us a theological debate or argument. He's trying to give you assurance. What he says next, look what he says. He says, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I know sometimes in your suffering, you feel like you're barely holding on. But be assured, have this assurance that what God started in you, he's going to finish. If you see evidence of being justified, evidence of being sanctified, like becoming who God created you to be, then you can have confidence that one day he's going to bring about your glorification where you're going to get a new body, a glorified body to worship a glorified Savior and a glorified heaven for a glorified eternity, and it's going to be amazing. So when you feel like you're barely holding on, be assured that he's still holding on to you. Last night I was put my daughter to bed, I often ask her these questions. Whenever I put her to bed, I say, Elsie girl, does daddy love you because you're so beautiful? No, daddy. Does daddy love you, baby, because you're so smart? No, daddy. Elsie, does daddy love you because you're so kind? No, daddy. Elsie, does daddy love you because you've got the best smile in the whole world? No, daddy. Well, Elsie, why does daddy love you? Well, Daddy, you love me because I'm your girl. That's right. You're my girl. And nothing you do can ever change that. Nothing you can do to add to that. Nothing you could ever do could ever take away from that. And you need to know that your Heavenly Father feels the same way about you. You're His girl. You're His son. And He loves you deeply. And what He started in you, He's going to complete in you. Those are our four pillars of hope in a world consumed by pain, corruption, and futility. I want to just talk to three different groups of people as I close. The first group of people I want to talk to here in the room, I want to talk to those of you online. First group, those of you in a season of pain, and you don't see any good coming out of it. I'm not going to try to convince you to, but I would just ask you to withhold judgment until you see the big picture, until until you see 
what some of those scars are starting to reveal. Because in the midst of suffering, sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we certainly don't feel it. But God's at work. And you can trust him. He's making it the image of his son. Second group I want to talk to is those of you walking with someone through pain. And I think it would be wise for us just to take note from the Holy Spirit. Don't try to explain everything. You might be trying to explain something that cannot be explained. Here's what I'd encourage you to do if you're walking with someone through suffering. Just sit with them. As they weep, you weep. And along with the Holy Spirit, why don't you intercede for them and pray for them. The third group I want to talk to is those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus. And the Bible has so many wonderful promises for followers of God. Like God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. But that promise is reserved for those who love him. That's not true of everyone. Not everything will work together for the good of everyone living today, unfortunately. But God doesn't want that. The Bible says that, that God doesn't want anyone to perish or to die without God. But he wants everyone to come to this place of repentance. And repentance simply means I'm going this way, I'm doing my own thing, I'm living my own life, but I realize I'm missing it. And most importantly, I'm missing God. And so I'm going to turn from living for myself, I'm going to turn and start living for God. And say, God, here's my life. Whatever you want, I'm in. Whatever you have for me, I'm on. And you surrender to him. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That can be your story today. You can leave this place a changed person. But don't do it just because it's comforting. Don't do it just because there's wonderful promises if you do. Don't do it just because someone invited you and you think that would make them happy. Don't do it for that reason. C.C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, don't come to Christianity because it's comforting. Don't come to Christianity because it's encouraging. Don't come to Christianity because it's relevant. Don't come to Christianity because it's exciting. And it is all those things. But come to Christianity because it's true. And so here's the question. Do you believe that? And if you do believe that, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then today's your day to go all in with God, to say, God, here's my life. You can have it. If you are a follower of Jesus, just be reminded today that every groan, every cry will one day give birth to glory and hope. For those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, God desires a relationship with you more than anything else. And he wants your story to change. That can begin now. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you.